Welcome to the podcasts of discovergreece.com, where we give you all the travel inspiration you need to dream about and plan your next trip to Greece. Our podcasts are designed to add even greater depth and color to your holidays. We explore local traditions and culture, bring museums and archaeological sites to life, and we go to the source of the Mediterranean food and drink we all love so much. Most of all, we look for the stories of the people behind the travel experience. Think of our podcasts as a first glimpse of the memories you'll be taking home when you visit. In this episode, we embark on a voyage that explores the history and legacy of a fascinating artistic movement. It's known as the Heptany School, or more commonly, the Ionian School, because it emerged in the 17th century on the Greek islands of the Ionian Sea. You'll know the ones we're talking about if you've been to the likes of Corfu, Zakynthos, Kefalonia, Lefkada or Ithaca. It's hard to stress just how big a cultural impact it had, not just on the Ionian islands, but in the subsequent artistic development of modern Greece. So if you love your arts and you love Greece, this episode is for you. Make yourself a cup of tea, sit back and let's dive into the fascinating world of the Ionian school. Our story is set mostly in Corfu, which was the one of the hubs of the Ionian school and where, if you're lucky enough to be there now or you're planning to visit, you can discover many of the works and personalities that define the movement in certain museums. So let's start from the beginning. What exactly was the Ionian school and where did it come from? Put simply, it's the first Greek artistic movement with clear Western European influences. It emerged in the Ionian Islands in the mid-17th century and lasted until around the mid-19th century. During that time, the Ionian Islands experienced a succession of Western conquerors and rulers, notably the Venetians, the French and the British. The relative freedom enjoyed by the inhabitants of the Ionian Islands, their economic prosperity and their cultural relations with nearby Italy meant that it was a place where the arts were able to flourish. Not that the arts weren't important to life in the Ionian Islands before and after this time. They were. Most notably, post-Byzantine art was popular from the 15th century to the beginning of the 17th century. And artwork flourished generally on the islands from the 20th century. When you put it that way, you can see that the Ionian Islands have gifted us more than five centuries of uninterrupted and well-documented artistic life, compared to just one and a half centuries for the rest of Greece. Of course, this was due to the stagnation brought by Ottoman rule, which the Ionian Islands had avoided, and the time it took for Greece to achieve statehood after liberation. The driving force behind this artistic enlightenment in the Ionian Islands was the Venetian period, from 1386 until 1797. It was a time of gradual empowerment of the urban class, bringing with it a feeling of new possibilities and creating a vision that would give life to Ionian art. It was only natural for Ionian artists that, for artistic direction, they should look westwards, across the Ionian Sea, and towards to Italy. But there were undoubtedly other influences too beyond these existing Western ones that affected the Ionian Islands' artistic development and, in time, led to the formation of the Ionian School. 
After the fall of Constantinople in the 15th century, Byzantine artists arrived in Crete, which was also under Venetian rule at the time, to find refuge. Just like the Ionian Islands, Crete enjoyed the creative freedoms that came with Venetian rule, with artists able to continue their craft. On top of that, there was a constant interaction with Venice, which was the Venetians' administrative center, especially for trade. And that brought the Greeks of these regions into direct contact with the intellectual and artistic movements of Western Europe, especially the Italian Renaissance. So in Crete, there was a diverse social environment of Orthodox and Catholic Christians, Greeks and Venetians, and artists arriving from Constantinople. And artistically, they were all called upon to strike a balance between the traditional Orthodox Byzantine art that they had inherited and the new artistic standards they were coming into contact with. Initially, they continued to create in the mode and style of late Byzantine painting, but inevitably they began to adopt the new elements of the modern Italian Renaissance. As a result, in the middle of the 15th century, a special style of religious painting had emerged, the Cretan school. It's a school that characteristically frames post-Byzantine Orthodox art in a synthesis of the Byzantine tradition with that of the Italian Renaissance and later Baroque art. The Cretan religious painters of this period became masters of the genre. And depending on the wishes of their patrons, they painted with equal mastery in the Italian style, the so-called alla Latina, or according to the Byzantine traditions, alla Greca. They could even combine Western elements in their traditional painting. Cretan icons traveled everywhere, including the Venetian-occupied Ionian Islands and especially to Corfu. In Corfu's Byzantine Museum, which is housed in the church of Antivuniotisa in the old town, you have the opportunity to admire the works of some of the ambassadors of the Cretan school, such as Mikhail Damaskinos, Nikolaos Zafouris, Konstantinos Janes, and other artists of the time. Then came the conquest of Crete by the Turks in 1669 and the abrupt end to this movement, or at least it was the end of the movement in Crete. Many of the painters from Greece's second largest island moved to the Ionian Islands, in particular to Zakynthos and to Corfu, either to find a permanent home there or as a stopover on their way to their final destination, Venice. In this way, the artistic movement of the Cretan school influenced the artistic makeup of the Ionian Islands. By the end of the 17th century, an important group of artists had already laid the foundations for this new artistic movement. This would be reflected in painting, music, and literature. The ball was set in motion for the Ionian Islands to be turned into a center of creativity and cultural renaissance, which historians would come to call the Ionian School. So, let's take a closer look at this Ionian School all the way from the broad brushstrokes to the finer details, because we're about to delve into the world of painting. We've already seen the direct link between the Ionian Islands and the West and the relative freedom and economic prosperity enjoyed compared to the rest of Greece, as well as the influence of the Cretan school. And this was especially true for the painters of the time. If you put all of this together, you have the reasons why the Ionian Islands 
were the place where modern Greek painting was born, or rather where Greek painting abandoned the Byzantine tradition for that of the West. In the early paintings of the Ionian school, in other words, the works created mainly by Zakynthian and Corfiot painters at the end of the 17th century, you can see a movement towards Western art and a departure from post-Byzantine art without completely rejecting it. By the beginning of the 18th century, however, we find the full application of Italian art and the abandonment of the traditional techniques of Byzantine iconography. Painted representations, mainly influenced by late Renaissance and Italian Baroque art, began to acquire depth, in other words, to give a sense of the third dimension of space, to become more natural, and to acquire increasingly secular rather than exclusively religious themes. All in all, as well as the religious painting that had dominated to that point, other themes were introduced. Portraiture of aristocrats and the bourgeoisie, cultural scenes, historical themes, still lifes, landscape painting and nudes. They all occupied an important place as subjects of Ionian painters. New techniques also emerged. Ionian painters moved away from the use of eggs to the use of oil as a binder for paint, and instead of using board, they turned to canvas as a painting surface. But let's take things from the beginning. The pioneer for the formation of the Ionian school of painting was Panagiotis Doxaras, who lived from 1662 to 1729. Doxaras was originally from Mani, in the South Peloponnese, He settled in Zakynthos and became involved in Byzantine iconography. But his style developed when he was introduced to a Cretan painter who was passing through the Ionian Islands, specialized in iconography, and it continued to evolve when he continued his studies in Venice. He then returned to the Ionian Islands where he lived in Zakynthos, Lefkada, and Corfu. Clearly influenced by the West, he now abandoned traditional Byzantine iconography altogether and opted for Western-style Renaissance art. In this way, Western elements became fully incorporated into his work. The first examples of this Westernization of the Ionian school appeared in the decoration on the ceilings of the churches, known as Uranies or Sofita, meaning the heavens or the lofts. Panagiotis Doxaras created the heaven of the church of Agios Piridon in Corfu, and today you can admire a copy of his creation. Sadly, the original is no longer with us due to wear and tear. And you can admire his work in the annex of the National Gallery in the village of Kato Korakiana, around 14 kilometers north of Corfu town. One of his main successors and an ambassador of the Ionian School of Religious Painting was his son, Nikolaos, who lived until 1775. Beyond religious themes, another dominant style of painting in the Ionian school was portraiture. It is a category that marked the beginning of secular painting in the Ionian school. It opened up painting to become more than the decoration of ecclesiastical spaces. And at the same time, it enabled artists to free themselves, to some extent at least, from the commissions of the church. In this way, artists were able to explore new forms of expression and appeal to a wider and different audience. The 18th century was the century in which portraiture took hold, 
and Panagiotis Doxaras was again a pioneer in this field. He was the first to attempt to portray faces with an obvious element of realism. A 1719 portrait of the German commander-in-chief and head of the Venetian army, Matthias von Schulenberg, during the siege of Corfu by the Turks, is now exhibited in the National Gallery of Greece in Athens and is considered a classic of its kind. As portraiture continued to develop, certain characteristics emerged, such as the insistence on a realistic representation of the person being portrayed and a psychological penetration into their being, the role of light and the minimization of secondary motifs. The main ambassadors of the Ionian school to be distinguished for their realistic portraits were the Zakynthian painter-priests Nikolaos Kutuzis, who lived from 1741 to 1813, and Nikolaos Kandounis, who lived from 1768 to 1834. Their works can be admired in the annex of the National Gallery in Corfu. Other themes of painting were gradually introduced into Ionian art from the beginning of the 18th century, slowly at first, and then with greater pace, until certain themes became dominant during the 19th century. For example, Kutuzis, who was distinguished for his portraiture, also painted nudes. In fact, his work, which is exhibited in the National Gallery in Athens, is probably the first nude painting in modern Greek art. Likewise, the painters of the Ionian school also dealt with allegorical themes and still life. After the mid-19th century, Ionian artists turned to landscape painting, following the naturalism of Doxaras. Corfiot landscape painters included Haralabos Pachis, Vikendios Bocatiabis, and Angelos Yalinas, who lived from 1840s to the 1930s and whose works can be admired in the Municipal Gallery of Corfu, which is housed in the Palace of Saints Michael and George in the Old Town. There are works of Pachis in the annex of the National Gallery in Corfu, but the one that will impress you most is in a landscape painting. It's one that depicts an important historical event for Greece, the assassination of the first governor of Greece, Ioannis Kapodistrias, who was born and lived in Corfu. You'll find it in the Kapodistrias Museum in Corfu. Concluding our look at the painting of the Ionian school, we have the Litanies. These are works on the borderline between religious and secular painting. They were intended for ecclesiastical spaces, but they also incorporate elements and characteristics of secular subject matter. The Litanies combine landscape references, portrait elements and cultural themes. In this way, It's a work that is not just a picture of religious piety, but the representation of an entire era. From painting, we move on to the literary movement of the Ionian school next, specifically from the last decades of the 18th century to the end of the 19th century. In terms of literature, the Ionian school consisted mainly of poetic works and followed the current of Romanticism. And the focus here is a certain Dionysius Solomos. Dionysius Solomos is our national poet. He wrote the Greek national anthem and was originally from Zakynthos. There was already a poetic movement on Zakynthos, influenced by the ideas of the Enlightenment, and this was the forerunner for Solomos' own work, 
and the subsequent intellectual progress of the Ionian Islands. But Solomon's most productive years were the last 25 of his life, which he spent in Corfu. He lived there from 1832 until his death, and his house in the old town is now a museum dedicated to his work. It was in this house that he wrote his defining work, The Free Besieged. It commemorates the siege of Mesolonghi during the revolution of 1821 and was translated into foreign languages, strengthening the movement of Philhellenism in Europe. Part of the work was later set to music by the Corfuot composer Nikolaos Manzaros and became Greece's national anthem. Solomos shaped the Ionian school of literature with his works. His poetry focused on the great themes that have preoccupied philosophers and poets throughout the centuries. Themes such as freedom, nature, religion, death, and love. He was also the first to highlight the use of the vernacular language as a literary vehicle. The artistic trend he created was followed by other Ionian poets who were active during his lifetime. Many of them even studied under him. Well-known names include Iakovos Polilas, who was also the editor of Solomon's entire works, Antonios Mádesis, Gerasimos Marcoras, Georgios Kalosgouras, and Lorenzos Mavilis. So all of these poets followed the approach of the Ionian school that Solomon defined and their works are characterized by the exclusive use of the demotic language, the language of the people. At the same time, they drew inspiration from Italian lyrics, as most of them had a European education, especially Italian. They also praised the declaration of the Greek Revolution and had an idealistic conception of art and women. Their works were filled with a love of nature, of man, of beauty, and of a sense of duty, all with a deep sincerity and sentimentality. After Solomon's death, In 1857, other Ionian poets followed, whether influenced by his work or not. Of those, Andreas Calvos stands out as the other leading exponent of Ionian island poetry. He may not have belonged to the Ionian school, but he contributed to the flourishing of literary production in the region and in Greece as a whole. And finally, we come to the third stream of the Ionian school and our episode. You can't talk about the Ionian school without mentioning music. Music is a core part of the identity of the Ionian islands, just as much today as it was during the time of the Ionian school. The Ionian islands, and especially Corfu, were the first to be exposed to the music of the West, through the cultured Venetians and especially through Italian melodrama. In fact, the San Giacomo Theater of Corfu, which is today's old town hall, was every bit as grand as the great theaters of Italy. Some 45 operas were performed there and it was a melting pot of ideas and other exchanges between Italian and Corfuot composers. As a result, the first Greek composers were Ionian composers, whose main sphere of influence was clearly from the Italian music of the time. In this way, the Western way of music, in other words, classical music, influenced the Ionian composers, and from the 19th century to the beginning of the 20th century, the musical current of the Ionian school was formed, with Nikolaos Halikopoulos Manzaros as its main ambassador. 
If the name Manzaro sounds familiar, it's because you've heard it already in this episode. He was the musician who set Dionysio Solomon's poem to music in creating our national anthem. But let's now get to know him a little better. Manzaros was a Corfiot aristocrat, and although he had great influence in Naples, where he studied, he chose to return to Corfu and bring his skills to his home country. He studied music, but he didn't consider himself a real musician. So when it came to giving music lessons, which he did throughout his life, he never asked for money. Inevitably, he educated a great many Ionian composers and sowed the seeds for the first generation of composers of the Ionian school. In 1940, he founded the first Philharmonic Orchestra of Corfu, the so-called Philharmonic Society of Corfu, or, as the locals call it today, the Old Philharmonic, because so many other Philharmonic orchestras followed. The works of this first generation of composers are mainly melodramas and operas, at first only in Italian, but later in Greek, piano works and the settings of poems of the Ionian poetic school, as well as cantades and many other types of work. The second generation, taught by the first, began in 1870 and included some of the great musicians of the Ionian school, such as Spiridon Samaras, Iosif and Spiridon Kesaris, and many others. These works displayed a greater variety of styles as they followed the Ionian style of the first generation but combined it with other music, such as French. Included in this generation are many operas and melodramas but also of symphonic works for violin and piano, songs and cantades, but also marches, waltzes and polkas. After the union of the Ionian Islands with Greece, many composers settled in mainland Greece in order to teach their music to the rest of the country. And so Greeks, who were used to Demotic and Byzantine music, were introduced to the Western style of music through these Ionian composers. When the Athens Conservatory was established in 1871, many Ionian islanders played and taught there. Gradually, from the end of the 19th century, German music, which had already conquered the great music halls of Europe, began to penetrate Greece. The result was that the more Italianate Ionian musicians were pushed aside. This created a conflict between the musicians from the Ionian islands and the Germanophone composers which lasted for a few decades. Finally, at the beginning of the 20th century, the music of the national school prevailed in Greece over that of the Ionian school. But don't for a minute think that this meant the death of music in the Ionian islands. The Ionian musical tradition survives and prospers to this day through philharmonic societies, local musicians and conductors. There are no fewer than 16 philharmonic orchestras in Corfu. The tradition of free music education continues to this day and marching bands and music generally are an indelible part of the cultural identity of the island. It is no coincidence that the philharmonic orchestras of Corfu are included in the Greek Ministry of Culture's list of intangible cultural heritage. Of course, there is no way that Manzaros couldn't be celebrated in Corfu for his contribution to the musical education of the locals. In this way, the building of the old Philharmonic of Corfu, which he founded, is now home to the Nikolaos Halikiopoulos Manzaros Music Museum. You can visit it for free, of course.
Inside, you will be introduced to history of the oldest Philharmonic Orchestra of Corfu and the musical life of the Ionian Islands and Greece of the 19th century. It includes old and rare musical instruments, school books, photographic material, sheet music, sound documents, and artwork. And there you have it. Our artistic voyage around the Ionian school is complete. We've had painting, poetry, and music, and we've gone from pre-Byzantine iconography to Italian Renaissance and Baroque influences and from philharmonic marches to waltzes. It's been some journey. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have and that when you visit Corfu, especially its galleries and museums, your eyes and ears will be open to the Ionian school that helped shape not just the cultural identity of a region, but of an entire nation. Today's journey was brought to you with the support of Ecos Resorts. This is where we say goodbye and hope that you enjoyed this episode of discovergreece.com's podcasts. If you want to hear more stories from around Greece, follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. See you soon!